What's up, people? It's your girl, Jazz. Jazzy G. Florecita Jazz. Jasmine Garcia. Just Jazz. Your host of, can I just say? No, but for real, can I just say? Can I just say that it is a small fucking world? It's a small fucking world, y'all. But um, getting to that. So a couple of hours ago, I got home from a meeting. Um, my neighbor, my neighbor, he reached out and wanted me to meet some of his friends that he works with, you know. So I, I met my neighbor recently throwing out the trash and you know he introduced himself and told me what he's about and what they're doing next door next door to the loft of mine they're renovating their loft into a recording studio and that's where they're going to record their podcast the podcast is a very well-known podcast and the host behind it is um a known podcaster had a meeting with him today to talk about, you know, what we're about, what we can collaborate on. And, you know, I'm going to have him on my show. I'm going to be on his show. And we just have, you know, great ideas and great things happening at the moment. Um, I don't want to start name dropping, you know, just out of respect for my neighbor, out of respect for the podcaster. You know, no need to name drop at the moment. i rather, you know, keep what we have going on. And see where it goes from there, you know. I want their consent. I want I want them to to give me their permission to allow me to, you know, start, you know, name dropping or whatnot. But uh, you know, a lot of things that I'm excited for. And uh I just I just thought it was a small world because, you know, from me moving to downtown Los Angeles to now living next to a loft that is purposely used for recording podcasts, okay, to that leading to um, him knowing some of my friends, some of my people, people that are encouraging me in my art and what I do. So the podcaster knows one of my um, my friends, uh, one of the people that has been encouraging me uh, with my art, uh, his name is Antonio Palayo. He is the founder and the curator behind La Boya. Um, so he's the founder for La Boya and the he's curating the art show for La Boya. And he has over about, I think, like, either 50 to 75 established well-known artists and he asked me to be a part of it he asked me to be a part of the show and um you know that's where I, I'm starting to see the connections where I'm starting to see how everything's linking up and how I I I am at the right place at the right time doing what I love you know so Antonio, he's been very encouraging, supportive, 
and, you know, giving me a lot of great advice. And, you know, I'm forever grateful for this opportunity to be in this art show alongside so many well-known artists, so many just painters, photographers, sculptors, you know, I, I would have never thought I would be a part of something like this. And, you know, I just, I'm forever just grateful for the opportunity. Um, I, I recently had a meeting with Antonio. I went and picked up the, the wood panel, the, the actual canvas for the, the show. And, you know, I, I brought up that I hope he doesn't think, you know, I'm, I'm this artist that he might think I am. I'm, I'm nothing like, you know, him or the people a part of the show. And, you know, he looked at me like, what are you talking about? You know, like, don't downgrade yourself. Don't, don't do that to yourself. Your art is your art. What you do is, you know, what you create, what, what, what you're making is art. You know, you don't have to be a painter. You don't have to be, um, just, you don't have to have such skills as to just being an artist, you know, art is art and it's whatever you want it to be. And, um, you know, just for, for me to hear that, it made me feel really good. It, it made me just know that what I'm doing is, is, is what I'm supposed to be doing because I always go back to, to what I always say. Everything I do is because I have fun doing it. It's what I want to do, what I want to create, what I find interesting, what I just have fun doing. It, it, it goes back to me dancing back up for MIA, okay? That then leads to my photography and being a part of shows to that leading to me producing my own music and creating songs that I want to listen to. You know, it's it's stuff that I want to do, stuff that I find fun and during the process, I am creating something that I, I don't even know what it's going to be, you know? I'm just doing it, flowing, focused. And, you know, from the music leading to my podcast and how it's become what it is now. And, you know, now my podcast for that leading to my art, my abstract, fluid art. And for people to recognize me, for people to find me interesting and want to follow and support what I do is amazing. And I'm just, thank you for your support. I, 
I appreciate it so much and I'll never forget this. So shout out to my neighbor, shout out to the podcaster, shout out to my new projects, shout out to Antonio, shout out to his son, Isaac Palayo, shout out to Labuya. You know, these are all amazing opportunities that are happening and I'm forever grateful. Labuya is March 12th. The link is in my bio. Get your tickets while they're $25 because I do know they're going to go up in price soon. Um, The link is in my bio. All the proceeds from the tickets that I sell go towards um, my art, go towards anything I create. So definitely check it out. You don't want to miss it. It's a Lucha Libre wrestling festival with live music, food vendors, art shows, live art happening. I know Isaac is going to be painting live in the studio at Thunder Studios in Long Beach. And there's so many artists a part of the art show that you don't want to miss. It's just so cool. And the live music, I believe it's like ska. We have, you know, some mariachi. We have the luchadores. We have the lucha libre wrestling happening, which is so exciting to see. And all the other just vendors and everything a part of La Boya is going to be a blast. And you're just going to love everything it's about so definitely check out the link in my bio i am promoting it on my stories so if you do see the link click it and uh you know get that ticket before it does go up uh i i remember antonio mentioning to me um how he created La Boya. So La Boya is all coming back from his childhood, back from when he lived in Mexico, back to his dad telling him in Spanish, you know, son, you make a lot of boya, translating to you make a lot of noise to his dad being a big fan of Lucha Libre wrestling. And and that's where it came about. And he's made it to what it is now. I believe he has three shows a year. I went to the one last year in October and I've never heard of it and I've never been to one. And I thought it was really nice of him to invite me and for me to let me see what it's about and to check it out. And to now, you know, actually be a part of it is, is is really fucking cool. So definitely shout out to all my new connections, all my friends, all my support, all the people out there. Yeah, supporting me. It, it, it's really dope. It's really dope. Um, but yeah, always, you know, it's it's a trip to see where you end up in life. And it's a trip to see where it's going. And... You know, I always go back to what I say. This is all just for fun and I'm loving it. But um, 
definitely check out the festival. If you have questions, DM me, message me, March 12th. Uh, another, a few th other things I have going on. Um, I recently started working at a art gallery. It's it's in Arts District. It's called ArtShare LA. It's um, a nonprofit art gallery where they help support local artists that are not so well established, that are in the LA scene, trying to get their art out there and they help them with jobs. Um, more like, you know, they create what they want, they promote them in their gallery and then people from different places come in, see the art and, you know, they'll, you know, reach out to that artist and want them for different projects. So um, I love what this art gallery is about. I love how it's more for the artists to be who they want and give them that opportunity to create and have the time to create and to give them also that chance, you know, to have their art up in the gallery where as to, you know, since they're not as established, they don't have that opportunity to be in shows and to have their artwork be seen by other people. So I love that. I love working at the art show and um, we have two exhibits that I'm assisting in. Um, it's going through March 5th, one of them being Products of Empire and the other, it's um, more on the outside perimeter of the gallery itself. In the middle, it's Products of Empire and then around is the um, another exhibit called Ideas of Practice. So definitely check it out. It's um, free admission and um, it's open from Wednesday to Saturday, one to five. And you can definitely find me there um, every Saturday from one to five. And if you ever have questions, you know, come visit me, definitely DM me. And um, we also have a website and Instagram, Art Chevrolet. Um, on Insta, definitely check them out and, and go to a, to a exhibit if you can, if you have time for it. It's really neat. So that's another thing I have going on that, um, you know, I'm really looking forward as to where it's going to take me. I'm learning a lot so far and I want to keep learning and I want to keep growing from it. And I want to keep meeting different people because, you know, the more you know, the, the the more I feel like I am getting influenced into creating what I want, you know, even going back to um, they recently just uh, recorded me for an interview. Um, it's for an artist spotlight. I brought in some of my pieces that I do and, um, you know, they asked me questions as to how I even got into it, my craft, uh, who has influenced me, who's my mentor uh, things like that. And, you know, it made me think for a bit, made me realize a lot as to things because I don't think about these things, you know, it just happens, you know, and it, it made me really think about my friends and who has influenced me in my life and, um, you know, mentors and, and people that have helped me grow and that I learned from, from, from as them being the artists that they are, 
you know, for example, Germs. Germs is a very well-established artist as well. And he's um, just someone that has influenced me and someone that I've learned a lot from more in the terms of, you know, how he takes the time to create his heart, his art, how he takes the time to just focus and be about it. You know, he is a full-time artist and it's really hard to do that at some time. You know, the things he creates, his mind, how it comes up with it, you know, just the material, getting the material, buying the material at just different stores, his ideas, his, you know, just, he's helped me a lot. He's mentored me in different ways that I've never seen until now because now as I'm selling some of my art and um you know just some of the pointers and some of the things that he's helped me with you know I I I take that with me on anything I do if it's not selling my art it's the ideas behind what I do Um, how he's influenced me, you know, there's just so much behind it, so much behind it. And yeah, so that was one of the questions that they had. Who was your biggest, who has been your biggest influence and who has mentored you during this time? And I've never have asked myself that I've never been asked that. and, And it made me really think like, you know what? This is becoming something that I never have known otherwise, you know, and it's I'm meant to meet these people for a reason, you know, so shout out to germs. He's fucking dope. Check him out. His artwork is so amazing. Um, He has like the Lucha Libre um, type of like squid art and it's it's really fucking cool. It's really cool. Um, check it out. I believe he, you know, has prints and things like that, that, um, you can buy off of his Instagram and, uh, yeah, I'm forever grateful for these people, these connections, everybody that I meet, I always feel like it's meant for a reason. And, you know, just as, as, uh, my time, is uh just I'm seeing who I am, you know, and as I I, mean, I take the time to hang with these people and and see how they work and you know, it's it's all for a reason. It's it's all for a reason and I am always forever, you know, grateful for it grateful for the chance to get to meet these people so that's art share definitely check it out when you can and you know that's really it's really all i got going on i love you all thank you for your support we have sabrina soul coming up next she's a reggae artist that i met out at the echoplex um 
it was well it dub club you know it's still happening but not as much it's not every wednesday anymore but i did meet her at dub club at the echoplex back in the day and we've always you know just have supported each other and i've always supported her with her music and um I just thought it was her time to speak. She hasn't had the opportunity to be interviewed and, you know, had the time to actually say what it is that she has always probably wanted to say and, you know, let people hear her, you know. So I'm glad I gave her the platform to do all that and to be able to, you know, express herself tell us what she's about what she does and you know what she's gone through her topic is moving forward she's definitely gone through a lot in the last two years i know we all have but this is her story and her time so i hope you enjoy thank you for letting me rant and just talk out of my ass (laughs) but you know what i i I'm just really excited for what's happening and I appreciate you guys for listening. 21 minutes and so and so seconds continue until I shut the fuck up (laughs) and thank you. Thank you. Hope to see you guys at the art show La Buya tickets in my bio. I hope to see you at the gallery and I just hope to see you in life. Great things are happening to us all. 2022 is going to be and continue being a great year. And thank you guys. Peace, love, and respect. Can I just say, (laughs) hey, this is Jazz. This is a podcast for you to say whatever you want on whatever topic you want to talk about. Join me. Let's listen to our community. Real people talk about real life situations. You come up with the topic and I interview you. It's just all about keeping it real while having fun, right? So join, listen, and participate. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Jasmine Garcia, and I'll be back with another episode of Can I Just Say Jazz? Can I Just Say Jazz is a production of Anchor. If you like this show, remember you can hear it on any app you use to hear a podcast like Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Overcast. Always, always, always remember to definitely contact me. Send me an email if you'd like to participate to canijustsayjazz.podcast at gmail.com with your topic and what you like to discuss and a short description about yourself. Um, just 
like I said, I appreciate each and every single one of you. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I don't know when I'm going to come back yet. I want to work on a few recordings first. And from there, we'll see the flow of things. But I think I'm going to take September off and come back um, fresh in October. So we can end the the last three months of the year with an episode. But um, if anything, maybe even start back up next year. I don't know yet, but I definitely do want to take a one month break. Um, but who knows? I could I I could be lying too. I don't know yet. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but um, like always, join, listen, and participate. <laughs> Roxanne Elias Meraki. She is uh, letting me see all her beautiful art, all the beautiful things that she has set up for her events at her home. And I'm so very excited that she's giving me the chance to interview her because I'm just so... I, I met her uh, last weekend at an art show um, at the one of the galleries I work at. And... I just was just very intrigued. I was just like, wow, this woman is amazing. This 
it's it's awesome when you meet someone and you instantly just have that connection and click because it felt like if I'd known her forever, it really, it really, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> dudes, yeah, honestly, vibing on the same level. We definitely yes. were, but um, all right, Roxanne. So, well, also also known as Rem, yeah, R E M, R E M, yeah, love it. But um, I chose her for this, uh, for this, just in particular for this episode, just because she does um have a few things going on that I want you guys all to hear and know what she's about. But um, let's let's continue. Let's let's let everybody know. So the topic is ascension. What what is ascension? Explain to me. Of course, yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I've never done anything like this and I'm not really social media literate. So actually meeting you at Archer was literally a stroke of luck. It's literally exactly what I needed. And I, you know, I am a first time artist. This is the first time I've ever showed my world, though my work to the world. So, you know, you being willing to allow me to talk about my story on this platform, I'm really grateful for that. So I wanted to make that clear first and I love the concept of your podcast you know can I just say it's like having you know real conversations with real people about real topics and most people shy away from topics like that so I really think that you're doing a great um doing great work and I'm really excited to see uh your podcast and you know keep on listening so let me answer your question ascension for those of you who don't know what ascension means the uh, textbook definition is the act of rising to an important position or a higher level this is specifically used within a religious context. Oftentimes it's used with like Jesus or when you're like rising up to the heavens. Um, martyrs and like those who are like typically marginalized and taken advantage of are oftentimes glorified after death. You know, oftentimes you're seeing like, oh, they're ascending into the heavens. Um, but honestly, like, I'm really tired of this. I'm tired of needless torturous death. And, you know, part of this project that I want to bring light to is like, I want to fight to live as I am. You know, we should not, we should mourn our dead, but we have to honor the living. Um, because if not, we're bound to repeat history. And I don't think we deserve to endure this hellish society any longer. I want to make sure we can change it. Because if not, then we're just uh, complicit to it, aren't we? I, I, I'm I, telling you, this woman. <laughs> like, Sorry, I can get on like these poetic rants. Hopefully that was that you could follow that. <laughs> oh, my God. But, um, okay, so let's tell me, tell me. How is it? How does this apply? How is it applying okay. to your to your story? Yeah, yeah. Thank. Okay, so I was raised in a very religious, uh, conservative family. So I was made very aware of the Bible and biblical teachings, and you know, uh, religious rituals at a very young age. And I was a very uh, not div. I was a devout. I was a devout and practicing. Um, uh, Seventh Day Adventist. That's the way that I was raised. Um, I wasn't raised Catholic, but I, I know some of the lore, and I'm Mexican American, and we live in Los Angeles. You know, most of the people here, most of the Latino or Hispanic community, is Catholic. Um, so, as far as ascension is concerned, I know it within the biblical context. Um, but for me personally, uh, it's about you know, ascending is is lifting. You know, lifting yourself up and lifting up those around you. And for me. Uh, you know, to be able to live as I am, as a non-binary person in a skin that I not only love, but I am safe 
in, that I feel safe in. I had to rise above this internalized homophobia and have the strength and faith to fight to be in a body I feel comfortable in. You know, um, it's not like my body is lesser than, it just wasn't me. And I live in fucking America. I have the right to pursue happiness. And this is my happiness. You know, this is a manifestation of my authentic self, my authentic me. Um, and, you know, ascending past that. In addition to that, like, I also have a challenge to everyone who's listening, you know, people that are not really familiar with non-binary folk or asexual folk or transitioning or anything like that. And not necessarily because, you know, um, you guys hold resentment or fear towards this community, but maybe you, you guys just don't know someone like that um, and have questions that you're maybe afraid of asking for fear of offending anyone. Um, I want to ask you guys, you know, I would challenge you guys to to rise up past our biases and prejudices, uh, prejudices to ask questions and want to embrace and understand others that are different from us. Uh, but yes, as far as ascension, that's how it applies to my story in finding myself and pursuing a transition from a um, feminine uh, presenting person to a non-binary individual that not only is both masculinity and femininity at the same time, but is also neither and a transition between both. So exploring that and trying to figure out what that means to me. Um, and it's very fluid. That's what I love about gender expression is it could be as fluid as you want it to be. You know, it, it is what you say it is. It is how you define it. Not as your mom tells you, not as your pastor tells you, not as your boyfriend tells you. You are you. You are the expert on who you are. Um, so uh, this kind of um, funnels into the individual who I'm honoring. The art show is called Reprise for St. Agatha. And I definitely think most, and within a religious context, people would describe her story as ascension as well. She was martyred. Um, she is seen as a uh, saint um, in the, the Catholic lore. And uh, she died, she died for believing in something and standing her ground. Uh, so she ascended for this and I think that there's a lot of parallels between her story and mine and that's what this art show is trying to explore yeah so earlier do you okay so earlier I said woman do you get offended oh not at all no 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 um, I feel like the woman the word woman or man or dude or bro um, they're mostly for other people you know when I dress I dress the way that I feel comfortable sometimes that means wearing a dress or a skirt sometimes that means wearing a full-on suit and you know you know with wearing a mask and glasses and just you know wearing clothing however I want to people would be like oh sir or ma'am and then they hear me speak and I have kind of a higher pitched voice and I'm like oh I'm so, I'm so sorry ma'am and it's like I don't, I don't give a fuck dude okay. like I don't I don't care what you call me or when people say um, ma'am um, I am not going to get offended because I feel like I am both man and woman I am both femininity femininity and masculinity in fact if people can see both in me or neither in me like that's all that matters to me is that duality because I'm I want to um, explore my masculinity especially since I wasn't raised with those kinds of privileges and constraints because there is both um, and I'm very interested in learning more about masculinity and what it means to me and how I can incorporate it into my life and use it to connect with other individuals um, but I want to explore my humanity you know it doesn't matter if I'm a woman or a man to you I, I and kind of to get into science I don't know if this is a little bit of a um, detour but uh, 
as far as sexual dimorphism is concerned, you know, a man and woman looking differently in any kind of species, it's specifically to see whether or not you can procreate with this person, right? It is to see whether or not you guys can bone and like have kids because at like a biological evolutionarily level, you need to be able to see and have distinctive features. Are they a woman or are they a man? Because it, are they worth putting in the effort to pursuing and procreating with them? Because if not, you're wasting your freaking time. Again, as like a caveman person, but we all got to, you know, we got to be real. That caveman lives within all of us, you know? Yeah. We have those proclivities. So that's just kind of what's on the back of our mind. We have to realize we are animals. That is our background. That's why so many people get hung up on, are you a boy or are you a girl? In addition to like um, internalized homophobia too. Like it's like, I can't, oh my goodness. Uh, a friend of mine were walking down the street and she was like, <laughs> I was like, wow, I, I think really, you know, a person just uh, standing by wouldn't be able to tell whether or not I'm a woman or a man. And it doesn't really matter. And my friend's like, yeah, it's just because you're hot. It like doesn't matter if you're a woman woman or a man you're just hot but then it's like oh you know anyone who's watching that has like more reserved views on gender and really does believe in this binary the question to themselves is like oh am i allowed to think they're hot or should i hate myself for thinking they're hot you know and that's the kind of thinking that i want people to analyze you know if you think i'm attractive then you think i'm attractive you shouldn't hate yourself for finding someone attractive so i i just want to really analyze why are people upholding this binary? You know, uh, to go back to the sexual dimorphism, why does it matter? Why does it matter to you um, what uh, gender I am? Because first of all, if we're thinking about procreation, I can't have kids, you know, I, and that is by choice. I had, and this, this goes into my transition as a non-binary person that's going through a transition. I have dysphoria or I have had dysphoria with my breasts and my uterus, you know, so when I got rid of this secondary sexual characteristic being my breasts and in addition to my uterus, it, it literally means nothing now. I, I'm not, I can't procreate with you. In addition to that, I would never be able to feed any kind of children. And last but not least, I'm asexual. I don't even want to fuck you. So why do you need to know? Why do you need to know what's between my legs? It's none of your fucking business. So that, that's kind of, you know, my spiel into not only being non-binary, but also being asexual and having privacy, you know, gender expression and your biological sex. You should have the right to keep your biological sex private information on a need to know basis. You know, I don't have to fucking tell the world, oh, I have a penis. Oh, I have a vagina. Nah, dude, I'm just me. And if it becomes relevant, we'll have the conversation, you know? I love it. We need to go back. Oh, what did we... Uh... So, I want to know more, because you were talking to me while we were going over Agatha, mm-hmm. and I feel like they need to know the... Oh, the, the lore, the story. the story behind her. Oh, yeah, yes, okay. because let... that was a story that really was inspiring, just hearing what she went through. Yeah. It's... Yeah, it's, it's really tragic. Um, and one of the, the biggest tragedies about her story, I think, is that she is one of the forgotten saints, in my opinion. I wasn't raised Catholic, but, you know, in preparation for this event, you know, even last year, because my... I tried getting this uh, these photos out last year, um, but I really wasn't in a too stable headspace for that. I was really struggling with the job I had. Um, so, you know, this project got put in the back burner, but when I was doing this research to be able to get this, this art out here, um, I called a bunch of Catholic churches all around me asking them if they were going to have, you know, a uh, February 5th feast- feasting day. Oh. And people, at priests, you know, people from the congregation yeah. were like, who? 
Saint Agatha who? Oh, oh no, you know she's just a local saint. You know people don't celebrate her day. You know here she's not a a big saint or anything like that. And it just makes me sad that this like brave young woman story yes. has been forgotten to like a group and a demographic of people specifically. You know, and this is personal. Uh, Latino women, Latino women that have been raised with Catholicism. You know, for generations and generations is you know we haven't had the chance to listen to her story, and that's the tragedy of it because I feel like a lot of you know latino women and just latinos in general in los angeles and all over the world anyone that's catholic um could really relate to her story so you know let's uh let's get into it let's get into her story agatha was a young girl who lived in 250 a.d to give you some context for that that's about 1763 years old you know uh yeah ago sorry uh this was sometime during the roman empire uh rule and she was a very devout individual, very Christian. Um, she lived in a time in which uh, being Christian was a religious minority, uh, something you could actually go to jail for. Uh, but her family was very rich. She came from a very affluent family. So she, they were able to keep themselves from being uh, thrown in jail or fined for uh, practicing their beliefs. Uh, she ended up becoming a high-ranking um, uh, biblical instructor or uh, individual that would help other people in the congregation learn more about God through Bible studies and such. But when she was 15 years old, she pledged her life to uh, God. She consecrated herself as a virgin, uh, a holy virgin to God. And she said, you know, I never want to take on a husband. You know, God and the church is my husband. And that's, that's my life's work. That's what I want to dedicate myself to. So from the age of 15 and onward, this, is, this was her life's work. This is what she was passionate about. And she ended up uh, becoming someone with a, a lot of respect within her congregation. But as she got older as all girls do, uh, she started to bud breasts and grow hips and men started to take notice. And I know that every girl or woman listening knows that exact moment when you're being treated like a child and then you're starting being, you start being treated like a woman. From men everywhere, your own family members, cousins, uncles start making comments, yeah. you know, and you're just a kid. Like you still have the mind and understanding of a child and everyone's treating you like a woman now, you know, and, and that could be very jarring. In my experience as a non-binary person, being sexualized um, at, at such a young age is just, it's, it's, it's horrifying. And especially if you're, uh, you know, a high school or a young person feeling powerless, like that's, it could be something traumatic. But Agatha's going through puberty, you know, she's doing her thing, doing Bible studies, just living her life. And uh, many people start to take notice in her. Um, Many suitors, you know, try to have her hand, ask for her hand in marriage, and she says, no, thank you. No, no, thank you. You're, you're, you're cute, but, like, I, I, I'm all about Jesus here. So, um, but one day, a uh, not a religious, but a high-ranking official, um, I forget his name. It starts with a Q, and honestly, I can't pronounce it. Um, but his official role was Praetor. Praetor is a high-ranking political office um, within the, the Roman Empire at that time. Um, 
he met her. And they say from like the first time he saw her was love at first sight. I don't believe in love at first sight. I believe in lust at first sight. But for him, it was love at first sight. And he decided that he couldn't live without her. So of course, he goes and asks for her hand in marriage and she says, no thanks. And he's like, are you sure? Like, I have so much land. I have so much power. You know, together we could do so much. And she's like, I'm not really interested, dude. Like, you know, I, I've said no to people in the past and like, I am a consecrated virgin to God. That is my life's work. I want to be in the church. And he's like, come on, you know, and he was persistent. You know, and I think we've heard of those stories like back in the 50s where like a woman kind of says lovingly to her grandchildren, oh, you know, your grandfather just wore me down. Like this guy was trying to wear her down with asking her over and over and over again. He couldn't take a fucking clue. And after a while, he just started to get pissed off about this. Kind of like, who is this bitch? You know, who, who the fuck is this bitch to be denying me? You know, I, I have this power. I have this land. Why the hell am I even asking her for? You know, she, she can't do this. She's mine. I'm going to make her mine. So he asks her one more time and he says, he, he, he says it to her straight. You know, he tries to um, uh, reason with her, at least in his mind, I think he would use that word to reason with her. He says, Agatha, you know, you're a Christian. I know that you love God and you've consecrated yourself as a virgin for some reason to him. But, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, you know, you're, you're what you're doing is illegal. And she's like, you know, what? And he's like, you're, you're a Christian. You're, you're a religious minority. You, this is illegal. And um, you know it. You know, I'm going to tell my boss, and I forgot the name of the uh, step above him, but he's like, I'm going to tell my boss that you and your family are practicing Christianity and you will be punished. And she says, you know, my faith in God will keep me, you know, will, will strengthen me through all things. And he didn't like that answer. So uh, he went to his boss and, um, and he, told, he told on her. So her family and uh, Agatha were rounded up and taken. Oh, so they, they weren't taken to the court just yet. Um, I wanted to be clear that this individual, the Praetor, was very sneaky, you know, very powerful. But the reason why he got to that power is because he was cunning. He knew the system, you know, and that's how a lot of men nowadays, you know, <laughs> continue to abuse this power. They're sneaky. They know all the loopholes and they know how to get the things that they want. So the Praetor, with his knowledge and cunning of the system, he tells his boss, he's like, hey, you know, there's this family who's practicing Christianity, and then there's, you know, this girl who is, you know, a heretic. They're, they're practicing this religion, and, you know, we can't have that in our, in our great city or, or country or whatever. Um, and, you know, the, the guy above him, his boss is like, that, we can't have that. We got to put him to death. And the Praetor's like, hey, 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 buddy, you know, maybe, maybe death is, is, is a little bit too much. You know, again, you have to mind you, he wants to marry her. He can't marry a corpse. <laughs> so um, he, uh, and, you know, the, the boss of his boss says, you know what? All right. You know, you, you seem to, uh, to know more about the situation. He's like, of course, of course. He's like, if anything, I think I can save her. I can save this young lady. I see potential in her. You know, I can marry her and she can convert away from this heretic Christianity. And the guy's like, you know what? You got this in the bag, dude. Alrighty, you be the judge. So the Praetor had a workaround in the system. Not only did he sell out on both Agatha's family and herself, he found a way to weasel his way and contort the situation to make himself the judge for when her Agatha and her family stood trial. So there he is, not only the individual who uh, exposed her to this harm now, he is going to be the judge, jury, and executioner. 
Agatha standing there with her family and he says to her, you know, I was serious. He's like, I was serious about this. You know, you you said no to me once and twice and three too many times, you know, once too many times. And and this is what it's resorted to. This is what it comes to, little girl. And uh, he says, no, this is your last chance. Either you marry me, as I asked you nicely before, or you will be sent to a brothel. And at first, like in my mind, I was like, why, why is he sending her to a brothel? And I was thinking the same. Yeah. Why is he sending her to a brothel for practicing Christianity? And his mentality or his reasoning was because of the fact that she's consecrated herself as a virgin, a, a heretic for consecrating herself to a virgin, to her supposed God, going and sending herself, ha sending her to a brothel would fix her. She would get raped or assaulted and she would no longer be a virgin. She no longer has a vow to give her God. He wanted to use this to break her down. And she's, and he gives her that choice. You know, do you, will you go to the brothel? Will you marry me? And she says, send me to the brothel. I won't marry you. And of course, he's shocked. You know, he, he didn't think that this was going to happen. Of course, this is, this is a little girl. You know, she was 15 when she consecrated herself. And again, since this is a, a story of a saint, you know, we don't really know the uh, technicalities of the history of it. But since it was sometime in 250 AD and since he was courting her for three to four years, around 15, 16, 17 years old, she's a young girl. You know, she's in, in uh, nowadays terms, she'd be a, a junior or a senior in high school just to give you some reference for that. So there's this older man, has powers, corrupt, and, and manipulates people. And he's standing and he's seeing this like little high schooler in front of him. And he's saying, you know, we're, I'm gonna send you somewhere where you're gonna be tortured. And she says, fuck you. You know, I'm not gonna marry you, dude. You can't intimidate me into doing this. That's something that he wasn't expecting. He was pissed off as shit. He's like, you know what? Send her to the brothel. There at the brothel, uh, a woman named Aphrodisia ran the the brothel and he told aphrodisia you know make sure that she you know she sees her punishment and not very much is known about what happened in the brothel some different versions of the story say that she was uh brutalized and that she was assaulted but every single version says that the punishment didn't work meaning that she left the brothel still a virgin now my thinking is, and again, this is not canonical, this is my own interpretation of it, is how in the world, after a month, did she stay a virgin if this is a brothel? You know, how, how, how the heck did she escape this torture? And uh, I started thinking more about this woman, Aphrodisia, you know, and thinking, you know, if she is the uh, owner of this tavern or owner of this brothel, you know, what, did she choose this life or was she sold into slavery? You know, was this even a choice of hers? But regardless, she's been able to rise into power within her own small world. And again, this is not canonical. This is just my uh, interpretation or musings on this story is I could see, you know, th this fucking corrupt ass individual coming and being like to the nearest brothel lady, like, hey, it's, it's your responsibility now to make sure that she gets raped and has a really bad time and shocks her into finally marrying me. And I could see her being like, all right, dude, go fuck off. And, um, and I could see her, you know, in my mind's eye, I imagine her looking at Agatha and I, this scared young girl who just wants to live her life. You know, you know, there's nothing, she's not an adulteress. She's not any of these things that you would imagine with impurity or a woman who deserves this kind of punishment. And I see in her a scared little girl. 
And I think that Aphrodisia could see within Agatha, and it's interesting to me that they both have names that start with an A. Um, I could see in her a young girl that just doesn't want to have sex. She's not ready for it, or she just doesn't want to. And I wonder whether or not Aphrodisia saw herself in Agatha. At some point, she was a scared little girl who didn't want to do this, and she was forced to. And I could think that it's not too much of a jump for not only Aphrodisia, but all of the other women who worked in this brothel or were subjected to this kind of work to see themselves in this, this innocent girl who's just trying to live her life. And I honestly believe that they protected her, that they either took her clients or that Aphrodisia or the other um, prostitutes or the w women who worked in the brothel hid her away. And honestly, that's the way that I think that the torture or the punishment failed. And again, you're not going to see this. You're not going to see this in any of the stories. I mean, anytime you look up St. Agatha, um, it's not going to say that the brothel uh, workers uh, kept her safe. But I really do believe it. I believe that this is like the unsung story of um, a woman who has a profession or has a job that she has to uphold that you know religious people or conservative people they'll look down upon and vilify sex workers still, still to this day you know sex workers are are treated like trash like subhuman and i think about the the juxtaposition between these two things you know these religious individuals that i was raised with that I, that this was my congregation you know they told me that you know being a prostitute is something worth going to hell all those adulterers people that are so loose they should go to hell but i'm thinking you know for such an individual who's so sinful you know someone who like herself who you know uh, is a, a woman who not only is a prostitute but runs the brothel you're telling me she's sinful and worthy of hell if that is so, why did she stick her neck out to protect someone who's innocent? You know, that doesn't make any sense. And I really want people to consider this. You know, it's my interpretation of the story, but why? How could someone so hellbound be driven and be inspired to protect someone who's innocent? And, and it's sad to me that, you know, in this story, a brothel worker has more of an understanding of consent than the leaders of her own country. Yeah. So um, she, uh, uh, you know, um, Aphrodisia brings her back to um, the Praetor and says, you know, oh man, the, you know, the, the punishment didn't work. And he's like, oh, how, how did it not work? He's pissed. He's confounded. He doesn't understand how this happened. But, you know, she's back at the court. She's back at the court and he says, you know, so that, you know, that punishment didn't work. So I'm going to subject you to more torture until you say yes to me. You will marry me, Agatha. And she says, no, I won't. Every single step of the way, she says, I am not going to marry you. So he says, okay, we have, uh, we have one last, uh, one last option to give you. This is, this is your last choice. You either marry me or I will have your breasts removed. And she thinks on it for a little bit and she says, do what you will. I will not marry you. He is again, pissed as all hell, but this seems to be kind of a trend with him. He has a little hissy fit every single time a woman tells him he's not into her, that a woman tells him he's not yeah. into him. And uh, you know, that might remind us of a couple of individuals in this society, but you know, he has a little, little tantrum, but that's what happens when men with power have tantrums is, women and other individuals who have less power pay the consequences. She says, I'm not gonna marry you. 
And he thinks, foolish girl, as he throws her in jail and she has her breasts removed, cut off. She is laying in prison and bleeding out, dying. And she prays to God and she says, you know, Lord, please give me strength to endure this. You know, that I, I am your, your child. You know, this is, I am consecrated to you. So whatever, please give me the strength to, to endure this. And as she's praying, dying, bleeding out, alone in prison, uh, she has a vision of uh, St. Paul. And St. Paul is an individual who had died years ago, but he was an apostle. And in her vision, he comes and visits her in prison, and he puts his hands over her bleeding chest and heals her. And, uh, you know, miraculously, she, you know, since her breasts were removed, there was nothing but two lines on her chest. She gets up and she starts knocking on the uh, the cell the the cell bars and says, you know, Praetor, I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet, and I'm not gonna marry you. The Praetor comes, and at this point he's he's like, you're a fucking bitch, you witch. How did you do this? How, why won't you fucking die? Why won't you die? Because if I can't have you, no one can. And he says, you know what? I, I, he's like, I, I don't understand how this has happening, but you have said no to me one too many times. For this, you will be burned at the stake because you're a fucking witch. She says, do what you will. My God is my protector. So now we have the people, the village square is packed to the brim, ready to see this witch burn, right? They're all gathered round and the praetor screams to the entire crowd, this, this is what happens when women don't know their place. This is what happens when you just aren't cooperating. You know, I asked nicely and this heretic, this uh, Christian swine, because remember, they're, they are um, a religious minority, so people to stamp out and um, uh, make sure that they pay the consequences of breaking the rules of that, uh, that society, that land. This is what happens. So, you know, take note, all the people around you, take note that this is what happens when women, when women think they could say no. She's ready to die. She looks up to the heavens and... They're ready to burn her. And she says, you know, God do. I am your child. Please give me strength to endure this. They're about to set the flame to the wood at her feet. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, the largest earthquake that has hit that land happens. There is catastrophe everywhere. The land starts shaking. And in that intercession from God, because that's what the mob thought, this is God interceding on her behalf, the mob wakes up and are thinking, you know, this, this is wrong. This is wrong. This young girl did nothing wrong. And suddenly their hatred and vitriol go from, you know, their bloodlust to see this woman burn, this witch burn, and it turns towards the praetor. And they think, you know, this man is evil. This is the guy who's in the wrong. And they chase him out of town. He gets so scared. He runs away. But in the middle of all the wreckage in the earthquake, uh, she, she is injured and she is taken back to jail and she dies. But she was not burned alive and she was not coerced or forced or she never gave in no matter how much pressure he put on her no matter how much he vilified and demonized her she never said yes to him because if it's a question 
you should be able to say no. And what he asked was not a question. It was a demand with flowery, in a flowery typeface. So her death and the significance of her life and the impact that she had on the people there. You know, these, this mob was ready to see her burn. And when they saw that earthquake, it really opened up their eyes that, you know, what they were seeing was injustice. And, you know, what she was going to be killed over isn't something, it is injustice. So, you know, she, it's, it's a tragic story. She died and she died a young woman standing for what she believes in no matter what. And that kind of fearlessness is something that inspires me every day. Yes. Yeah. That's why I truly, really do love this story. That's why I felt like it was meant for me to hear it just mostly because of that. Because it's it's it, it is inspiring to the fact of you know just being a woman yeah you're fucking powerful mm -hmm. like it doesn't matter you're a god you you, you can create do, life yes. you hold life within you you have the capacity to do that or if you don't want to you don't have to exactly. either exactly exactly yeah. it is your choice it is about bodily autonomy and this is what this little girl over a thousand five hundred years ago was telling the world is I don't have to mm -hmm. I don't have to. This is my body. I get to choose what I want to do. If I don't want to get married, I don't have to get married. And, yes. and still, to this day, so many women are pressured into getting married. Yes. Being raised Mexican-American, my mother would tell me as a young age. And again, she didn't do this out of malice or anything like that. I think she's just doing it out of the love of family. She'd tell me, oh, when are you getting married? I need those grandkids. Yeah, but exactly. that, kind of, that kind of societal pressure can get to you, especially if you don't want to have fucking kids. You know? mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, if that means it, you don't want to go through the pain of childbirth, you know, like that could There's be a very... So very valid much, yeah. reason or you know you don't you're scared about bringing in a kid into this like fucked up world and you know mm -hmm. that that's you know you could say that in any time period but right now with global warming happening and the way that politics are going like Shit. you could be really scared about like why would you bring in a child into this world yeah. you know if you want to be a parent you can adopt too but like making the conscientious choice to bring a kid into this world as opposed to be a parent to a child that already exists you know, like at that point, you know, what is parenthood to you? But regardless, you know, women, we are gods and we are not allowed to see our godliness. We are treated as a means for reproduction. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, Handmaid's Tale, but that's what you reduce down to. You know, yeah. there are studies that show that both men and women, when they see pictures of women, they break them down into their sexual parts. Mm -hmm. I am not a person. I'm ass. I'm titties in a pretty face you know and that that kind of complicates the story because if all you see as a woman is just you know ass and titties you know as you know the uh, ability to procreate you know a, a resource to control what am i am i a woman because i have a fat ass you know am i a woman because i have, cheek have high cheekbones or because my voice has a higher inflection if so and if you're cutting me up into my parts i don't have breasts i've cut them off not me personally, but I've had them removed. What about my uterus? If, if all a woman is, is what she can give a man, a child, I don't have one. I have no uterus. I have no breasts. So am I a woman? Am I a man? Am I none of those? Those are the questions that I want to ask people. You know, if, if being a man and woman is so black and white, then I want you to explain what am I? Yeah, so that that's kind of her story and 
I, oh, and last but not least, one thing that I wanted to add to Agatha is I just think it's really interesting to me that, you know, she was so strong in her convictions, not only religious convictions, but she didn't want to get married. Like, this girl did not want to fucking get married, not much less to to this motherfucker. You know, why the fuck would you marry someone who's going to send you to a whorehouse to get, like, sexually assaulted? Like, why would you be like, oh, of course I'm going to marry you. You think he's going to treat you right? Like, fuck that, dude. I'm not going to marry someone like that, first of all. But she didn't want to get married. And and honestly, like, I could see, like, a young teenager being, like, much less than, like, getting married. I don't want to have sex. I don't want to fucking do that. Um, and, you know, as being an asexual individual, uh, that's kind of, like, the, the forgotten. Like, kind of with Agatha, she's the forgotten saint. Asexuality is the forgotten sexuality. Even within the queer community, if you think about it, LGBTQA plus a is the last uh the last um letter in the acronym that's asexual oh yeah yeah i did not know that most people don't know that but um i didn't know that's what it stood for yeah yeah um i uh i think honestly and again this is a non-canonical interpretation is that it's very convenient you know thinking you know like uh uh, if I consecrate myself as a virgin to God, that's like a get out of jail free card for anyone who's going to be fucking after me, you know? I, I think that this girl could see that like not only does she have this beauty and power because her family was rich, even though they were a religious minority, um, I think she could see the way she was being sexualized, you know? And, you know, her having convictions and the fact that she doesn't want to fucking have sex. I could see this girl very easily being an asexual person more than a thousand years ago who doesn't have the vocabulary to describe who she is and even if she does have the vocabulary even now as an asexual individual with uh, you know the queer movement and there being a lot more openness about this there are still people not only allies or not not even allies people that are cis hetero and you know don't give a shit about the queer community definitely them but even people within the own queer community have been like oh asexuality isn't a thing you just haven't met the right person there where it's like you invalidate us even in this day and age and i could see this i could see as Agatha being a person who is asexual and is like, I don't want to fucking have sex. You know, I don't want to. And holding true to that. So if if you follow that, um, that interpretation of mine, then Agatha is a queer saint. And I think that there's a lot of queer people in, um, in the Catholic community. I think that, you know, there are people that are uh, taught to hate themselves for simply wanting to love or live as they are. You know, I, I want to love without having any kind of sex involved. Is that so horrible? Why is that so bad or offensive? I don't need to be fixed. I don't, there's no, there's no cure for me because I don't need a cure. I simply exist as I am. And if you are feel uncomfortable by that, then I think that says more about you than it does about me. And I, I see her and to know that I could relate to her story and that she has potentially felt as I have felt you know, knowing that, you know, that not only do we have a queer saint to represent us, you have someone from the le- the rarest sexuality of the queer community being represented. And there really isn't a lot of asexual representation. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Bojack Horseman, but there is a character mm-hmm. who is asexual. And I know that House did an episode on asexuality, but that it's a very poor um, uh, interpretation of asexuality. But if you look at her story, I really do believe that we have an asexual saint. And again, this is my own interpretation, but it gives me solace knowing that, you know, there's this young girl who I could relate to in many different uh, ways and also get the ace community um, behind this story 
because again even if you're not catholic if you're religious knowing that you could talk to your conservative grandma about you know this saint and you guys could have some kind of common ground and being like i'm asexual i'm like her I think that we could really bridge a generational gap and there could be more understanding from individuals who have um, maybe less experience with being open or being curious about these things because they themselves were told that, you know, homosexuality is bad, that being queer is bad, that we should be demonized. So also having patience with people that are older than us and really um, welcoming curiosity and you know being patient when people slip up a little bit like even when you ask like are you offended when someone calls you a woman no but i know that there are some people that are very sensitive to that yeah. but i i think that when we take that kind of mentality it makes people not even want to be curious because mm-hmm. they don't want to they don't want to offend anyone and at yeah. that point you just you you create a larger rift so i think and again this is just my goal as a a queer person a queer activist is having patience with people who genuinely are interested in learning more even if they slip up if they misgender you if they dead name you you know giving them gentle reminders because if they do care they're going to listen and it's just having that patience with you know teaching them about the terminology and you know um telling them you know what dysphoria is and and gender affirmation and you know telling them about your experience because it just comes down to humanizing one another you know we're all very different but at the end of the day our core humanity is the same and that's what i want to explore i want to ask people what is you know what is their humanity well i just love everything about you (laughs) (laughs) oh dude thank you no you're (laughs) so awesome but um I think something else that I just meeting you and you telling me your story for the first time. Yeah. Just imagine like we met, okay? Like we met within, within minutes, you're telling me this, this story of yours that it's, you know, I'm, I've, I've never met anyone like you before. And (laughs) I think we need to hear your transition and, and how, you know, the family and, how everything is now making well I don't know if it's different now ever since you have gone through the transition yeah I my life is definitely very different since the transition meaning more like are you do you feel more happier in your skin yeah yeah yeah. thanks for asking that yeah um when people first hear about my story uh especially since you know I was very open with you you have amazing vibes by the way and like the event that we met at was super fucking cool a lot of great art but like I'm very open about my um my experience uh you know being a non-binary person being someone that's gone through several gender affirming surgeries um and i think i literally was just like you're so cool what you know tell me more about the gallery and you're super sweet and nice and like you just have like a charismatic charm about you but like right off the bat i was like so i had my uterus and breast removed and like legit from the very start and it's like oh shit you're you're coming with it like at the beginning so you know like that that definitely is something that's a little out there um and yeah, I, you know, I, I say it how it is, you know, I had my breasts and uh, uterus removed and I want to tell a story regarding that. I want to tell the story about how individuals who feel trapped in their bodies, who feel so hopeless and helpless with having something like essentially like dangling on your body this isn't this isn't me this is something that i have to deal with this is something that's just my reality and we can listen to our parents we can listen to our congregation we can listen to the social uh stigmas and norms and pressures and just be like all right you know i guess 
I guess that's what just what it is, you know? And I remember thinking to myself before going for, you know, the surgeries is I'm like, am I just being dramatic? You know, like, I, I guess, like, I was born a woman and, you know, having a period is just part of being a woman, you know? And, you know, like, you know, tits, or fuck, I fucking hate having tits. Like, I like to run around without a bra. And if you're running without a bra, you're, especially, yeah. I had, I had C titties. I had deluded myself into thinking I had B breasts and I would hunch my shoulders because of the fact that I felt very self-conscious that if I stood up straight, my breasts would pop out. And I thought that, you know, why the fuck am I like showing off the goods? I'm not trying to get any kind of attention like that. So I would hunch my shoulders. And I would tell myself, and again and again, I'd be like, "No, I don't have C tits. I have, I, I am, I'm a size B." But no, I, oh, I, I got lost there. I forgot what I was talking about. Sorry. <laughs> um, oh yes. Uh, so dysphoria, dysphoria is concerned. Um, I, I was thinking, you know, am I just, am I just being dramatic? You know, I should just, I should just learn how to live with the body. You know, my mom's like, "You just accept reality. You just accept, you know, who you are, how God made you," and kind of, you know thinking about, you know, okay, this is how God made me, right? I really think that I, I'm not renting my body. You know, I'm not renting this body from God. You know, this gift, this God, this body isn't just a gift from God that I'm allowed to in this soul, you know, rent out until it dies. No, 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 no. I am my God. I create my reality. I make choices for myself. Life doesn't happen to me. I happen to life, motherfucker. This is my temple. I don't know who your God is, but your God, and the, if, you, if you speak for him and if you act in his name, is hateful. Is hateful not only to me and what I stand for, but my people, the queer community, those who are marginalized. You, you say you have a God of love, but you act in so much hate. And I've never understood that. As a child in the pews, I never understood why queer people were demonized for simply wanting to live as they are, to love as they are. No, <laughs> no to my family, no to any individual who thinks that I just have to accept reality. I don't rent this body. This body is mine. My body is a temple that houses the deity that is my soul. And I have every right to redecorate the fucking landscape. If I don't want tits, I don't need tits. And it isn't a, a matter of, oh, you just have to accept yourself as a woman. No, I don't identify as a woman. And you know what? I can do whatever I want with my body. If I don't want to have to fucking hold my tits while I'm running because I am a hippie and I like to not have a bra on, then if I don't want to have to deal with that, I don't want to have to wear a bra, then I don't have to. And first of all, you can get sexualized too, especially in Los Angeles. It's, it's not really normal to just be walking around in a tank top without a bra. But I went to the school in Northern California and everyone did that. I mean, it's super big culture shock, but regardless, I don't want to wear a bra. And that, if that means that, you know, that is removing my breasts and that's com something I'm completely fine with. And that's the thing is like, I, I think it's important to communicate is like, I'm not a cis woman. Most women at the, the thought of like, you know, having their breasts cut off. I mean, this was a torture. This was a form of torture for St. Agatha because, you know, she did identify as a woman. This was, a I mean, also painful as well. But when you talk to women about like, you know, would you get a mastectomy? And they're like, fuck no. I mean, unless they had cancer, they'd like be like, okay, you know, I would consider it. But then they get Best, breast reconstruction but you know for me it's it's a part of my body that when it left I felt so much freer I felt lighter and 
the day that I got out of the hospital from the mastectomy surgery. And mastectomy means uh, breast removal. Mastectomy or mamar or mammalian means breast. So mastectomy means, means breast removal. As I was uh, a little drugged from the surgery and, and kind of like uh, the pain pills too made me a little groggy, I was walking out of the hospital and I remember standing up straight and walking straight and I felt not only this weight off my chest literally uh, <laughs> thank you <laughs> I know it's a bad joke um, but I say it every time not only this weight off my chest literally I I stood up straight I stood up completely straight and I remember feeling pride not only in my height but just in holding up my head high because I I knew I could sit up straight without ever feeling self-conscious about the fact that I have boobs and be worried about the fact that I was sexualized or have other people interpret that, oh, you know, she's asking for it. Because so much of our fucking culture is she was asking for it. Mm -hmm. She was asking for it. Fuck that, dude. You will never be able to say that to me. You will never be able to say that to me. And feeling proud. Feeling proud and feeling, you know, this is, this was right. This is the choice for me. This is my body. So yeah, to answer your question, you know, afterwards, my life definitely changed. My life changed, um, not only after the mastectomy, but also the hysterectomy, you know, knowing that I will never have to deal with, with periods, first of all, like at the end of the day, my transition is as simple as I don't want to have to wear a bra and I never, never want to have children. Um, and I don't want to have a period. So at the age of 27, you know, I will never have to buy a bra ever again. I, and I don't have to pay for birth control. I don't have to pay for period supplies or anything like that. I don't have to go through the cramps or anything like that. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that many people would think that the measures I went to were drastic. But if I am happy and comfortable and joyous in this body, as opposed to the body that I had before, um, who are you to say that I did something horrible or grotesque? Because it, it really doesn't apply to you, does it? The only uh, people that this applies to are people that resonate with my story. People who feel like they might are just they might just be uh, dramatic. You know, people who are holding this narrative that are given to them by their parents or by their their society. You know, maybe I'm just being dramatic. You know, maybe I just should just deal with this. You know, no. If you don't want to, you don't have to. That's what Agatha taught me. If you don't fucking want to, you don't fucking have to. There are resources out there for young people that are struggling with dysphoria. There is nothing wrong with you for feeling unsafe in your body. It just means that you have dysphoria. It doesn't mean you're evil or that you're, it's all in your head. It means that you've identified a part of your body that, that really does not only make you feel uncomfortable, but doesn't feel like part of yourself. And you have the rights, every right to pursue your own happiness. And if you can envision your happiness, you can envision what your body looks like that makes you happy and makes you feel safe. You have every right to pursue that. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it definitely does. Um, I always start off with, um, I always, always, always start off with, I want you to let the audience know who you are. Mm -hmm. So I felt like we need to know a little bit more of who Rem is. Roxanne, yeah. just yeah. as a person, okay. Aside from our topic, yeah. Let's let's let the audience know who you are. Yeah, yeah. Alrighty. So I guess some basic information about me is that I, uh, I kind of self-describe myself as like the, the um, unicorn from the underworld, if you will. 
because uh, I, I think of the world and, and society as uh, privileges and disadvantages, you know, that those are the things that really do uh, weigh on us as far as how far we get in the world uh, or how much uh, pain we're going to be subjected to for, for no fault of our own, you know. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, people that are born in first world countries versus third world countries or the developing nations. I don't like that term, but the developing nations is, you know, there are consequences to what we do here in America that are going to affect people, you know, uh, nations in Africa and uh, uh, Latin America. And, you know, they go through pain um, for, you know, for no consequence of their own. That's about privilege. That's about disadvantages, those who are disadvantaged. And I, I think about someone like Jeff Bezos, right? Straight white man, cis, hetero, fucking affluent as shit. You got all these fucking privileges. Boom, 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 boom. The 1%. You know, the, the fucking Wall Street. I forgot the the name of the, uh, um, the what is it called? The <laughs> activism group that was happening when I was younger. But when they were like, oh, down with the 1%. He is the 1%. He's a unicorn. You know, and that's how you rise to power is through all that privilege. I think of myself from as the unicorn uh, from the underground, a unicorn, unicorn from fucking hell, if you will, because I am the exact opposite. I am the anti Jeff Bezos. I am not a man. I am. Uh, a, I was born as a woman, or I guess you know. Regard it. It gets kind of tricky here, and it, if people are not really familiar with the terminology, I'd like to provide it to you. AFAB, assigned female at birth, a, a vagina wielder, if you will. Um, you know, he he's a AMAB, a assigned male as birth. He has a penis. I have a vagina. Man and woman, if you will. If that's the easiest language for you for you to understand. Um, I'm not straight. I'm queer. Um, he is neurotypical. Um, I am neurodivergent. You know, I have mood disorders and a lot of trauma to go through. And I mean, I don't know Jeff Bezos' life, but he was able to get to space. And that is a priority of his as opposed to, you know, using his power and his platform to help people, you know, but, you know, whatever. Um, every single privilege that this man, I mean, also what he resembles too, not just um, uh, him specifically, but people like him, the people he protects, the people he speaks for, and, and individuals that are still in power. I am the inverse of that. I am the 1% on the other side, you know, and people like us have not been given a voice. This is these our voices are small one percent and you know again in asexuality and it's so interesting that again it's one percent one percent of the population is asexual to our understanding so not only am I marginalized on so many different levels on a religious community Adventists are not commonplace they are and especially Latino Adventists a lot of them are raised Catholic I was raised Adventist so on a religious level on a neurotypical level um, on a uh, uh, money I am not, do not come from power or prestige I was raised middle class you know very um, impoverished slash middle class and our voices get drowned out. Our voices get drowned out, and I think it's important to to speak. To speak because there are so many people that can relate. Maybe not only to my story, but to Agatha's story at least. Um, but yeah, I, I'm also a scientist, so I want to make clear that like, this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. And, and REM is an idea that I've had in my mind. And again, that is my chosen name. That is not my birth name. This is something... This is how I want to identify my uh, as this is how I wish to identify myself to the world. I refuse to think that I am, excuse me, and I'm being dramatic or being too much. Um, but uh, 
you're not dramatic for wanting to be yourself and you know when you're you're getting more of an understanding of a sense of self not only through your childhood but also through your adolescence um, maybe you're surrounded by family members or a culture that's gonna shoot you down every time that is gonna tell you that that's evil or demonic or just too weird you know like I, I remember being told as a child that I you know I'm just going through a phase you know I'm I'm going to at some point outgrow you know my self-perceived sexuality but if that's so you know I still haven't outgrown it and you know I felt like this since I was a child and I'm 27 right now and I don't regret my decisions I feel happy and safe in this body you're not dramatic for wanting to be yourself everyone has a right to pursue their authentic self and this is simply how I express myself this is my chosen body this is how I choose to represent myself in the world. This feels like myself. Before, I felt like I was chained into something that I didn't choose, chained to my genetics, to my biology. But I am God. I am God and I am animal. Animals are subject to what genetics give them. We are animals, I truly do believe that. But we are gods in the way that we control our, our destiny. We control our reality, we have choice. And this is me using my choice, using my bodily autonomy. As far as my name is concerned, REM is for Roxanne Elias Meraki. Roxanne, because I wanted a name that encapsulates femininity and the song Roxanne by the police, who's about a prostitute, um, was a very interesting song to me. Um, and I, for, for many different reasons, and I'd like to get into that in a future day, but it's essentially to represent my femininity. Elias, for my masculinity, I feel in many ways, the way that I speak, and I've been told this by other people too, I hope to not come off as pretentious, but I want to be a prophet. I want to be a prophet for the God that I seek. I don't quite know what that God looks like, but it definitely doesn't look like the God that I was raised with or any other gods that uh, people who are so hateful uh, claim to have. Elias from the Bible. And also to get in connection, uh, as a connection to my Hispanic heritage, Elias is the Spanish way for Elijah. Um, but you know, they were a prophet in the Bible and it is a way I can represent my masculinity. And lastly, Meraki. Meraki is a Greek word um, that means putting yourself in all that you do. Um, it says here uh, on NPR's article, uh, this is a word that modern Greeks often use to describe doing something with soul, creativity, or love. When you put something of yourself in what you're doing, whatever it may be. And I, I feel like in this uh, capitalistic society where it just come, comes down to the grind, comes down to money, um, we aren't really... Uh, pushed to or incentivized to have soul, to have creativity into our work. We're told to just, you know, this is this is our standards, standard policies and procedures. And if you have some kind of creativity with it, like, no, 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 don't don't change it up. No, I, I don't. That's not the world I advocate for. I want people to delve into their creativity, delve into what they love. If you love one another in a way like polyamory or if you love um, another man and you're a man and you're in church, that's fine delve into what love means to you, delve into your creativity. Um, and uh, last but not least, uh, the acronym, R-E-M. For those of you who know about uh, sleep uh, science, R-E-M stands for rapid eye movement. That's what happens when you are in your deepest state of sleep. And I want to, as an artist, ask people questions that haunt their dreams, that really push them to introspect because I think in our dreams where we allow our subconscious to play with the conscious mind, 
we can really make some breakthroughs and have different perspectives. So through our dreams, I, I want us to come together and, and question all of these injustices and things that don't feel quite right with us but are normalized in our society because that's how change happens. It, cha it happens from within. Uh, so that's, that is the uh, significance behind my name. Again, it is a chosen name as this is my chosen body. Um, and again, to reiterate, I'm a first time, this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. I've never put on a gallery show. Um, I'm a scientist. I am a, I have a bachelor's of science in biology with a cellular molecular emphasis, a bachelor's of science in zoology, and I have a minor in chemistry, film, and scientific diving. I was a double major, triple minor, and I ran the circus, the Humboldt circus. So in, in addition to all that, um, you know, I, I'm an academic. You know, I want to write scientific papers. I want to use the scientific method to answer questions that people don't really give a shit about. Um, and that's what I studied. But I feel like I was called to in this moment to... And, and a lot of that is just my inspiration from Agatha's story. I think that she's emboldened me to, to speak out about this because there's way too many parallels between our stories. And, you know, I told my family about this idea and they told me that I... I'm going to be crucified for this because Agatha's story is that of martyrdom. You know, she, for her, the way that her chest looked, it is because she was tortured because she had something torn from her. But with me, when people look at my chest, it was something that I chose. So she's saying, you know, how can you compare them? You know, apples to oranges. And I think at the end of the day, the fact that my chest looks like someone like Agatha before she died there's something there there's a commonality there the praetor took from her what he believed he was entitled to her femininity what he was attracted to and uh, maybe um like frollo from the um uh, hunchback of notre dame what he felt uh perhaps uh, uh, guilty for wanting her sexually take off this sexual dimorphism this sexual object and what he made a sexual object her body with me, I felt dysphoria and discomfort in my body because I was sexualized by people like the Praetor. You know, people that are the ever watchful eye. And every woman knows that experience of walking into a room and knowing that men are staring at her and undressing them in their mind. I didn't want that. I mean, I don't think anyone wants that kind of attention. But for me, it was particularly traumatizing. And I felt like I was living in an unsafe world, especially being asexual too. Every single sex um, advance towards you comes with that connotation and knowing that you would never be able to satisfy that kind of request or that kind of love um, leaves you in a very almost paralyzed and fear state. Um, but uh, to, to get back to the um, seed of this uh, conversation, I am a scientist. That is what I was trained in. This is the first time I'm showing any photos to the world. I am quite literally bearing myself to the world because at this show on April 1st and April 2nd at ArtShare LA, I will be unveiling my work. This is my debut photo gallery. In addition to that, I'm going to be having many first time artists, you know, people who um, would only do their art for therapeutic reasons. I reached out to them because I'd been in therapy with them in their programs and their art inspired me. And they would be that one uh, artist in particular messaged me and she's like, I don't know what you would want my art. You know, I only do paint by colors and and, you know, it's really just for me. I, I've, I've never sold it before. And I was like, I don't care. You know, your 
art is beautiful and even if you think that it's not worth anything I'm telling you it's worth something and I want to pay you this amount of money for your artistic time in mind and she's like all right for sure and I could see in that giving someone this project and showing them that their art that what they make with their hands and the way that they pour themselves into this story is worth something that is worth food in your mouth and that saying uh, starving artists and how that's just a funny joke pisses me off because yeah. artists provide something that is absolutely invaluable to this world to humanity art is to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comforted and if you are strong enough and faithful enough to put yourself out there and be authentic and tell your story bravely and unashamedly like Agatha you that is worth something that is worth minimum food in your mouth it is worth food. Um, so speaking of food, a uh, very uh, quick anecdote. Uh, saint Agatha is also a patron saint of bakers. Um, bakers all over Italy and Sicily actually make these cookies called Mini di Virgini, which uh, actually uh, looks like severed breasts. In many of the artworks on Saint Agatha, she's holding either cupcakes or uh, uh, little pastries that look like breasts. Um, and I think that this is interesting regarding like the body of Christ, you know, the body of Christ you consume as flesh and, and mothers, you know, breasts. What is the biological function of the breast? It's to feed your child. So when you're eating this cookie that looks like a, like a nipple or a, a breast, you know, I think that there's a lot of imagery with like motherhood and feeding one another, feeding our soul, our spirit, our creativity. And, uh, you know, I guess you you would serve cookies on a silver platter. I think that's one uh, one of the SpongeBob episodes. Like, oh, you can't expect just cookies to be given to you on a silver platter. And you know, if we take this story, you know, one step further, cookies that look like breasts on a silver platter. I uh, I took, and it's not quite a cookie, but it is my breasts on a silver platter. I will have images of the tissue that I requested back from the hospital on a silver platter you will be able to see a exactly what breast tissue looks like so that way it will really drive the point home what torture she was she was subjected to but it's also going to very viscerally show you that this is something that i chose for myself and i was driven to this point that i think many would think is a uh, drastic or perhaps even grotesque but I'm laying myself bare for the world. And I guess in the most horrific way, I'm flashing all of LA. <laughs> I am showing my titties to everyone, but they're going to be on a slab, a wooden altar that I designed for St. Agatha. In addition to that, I've always thought, you know, it's, it's interesting with being sexualized and, and feeling like other people want my breasts around them more than I want them on my body. And kind of in a fuck you to the world, I'm like, alrighty, you know, like, especially to all the thirsty boys out there, and thirsty girls too, you know, you could go ahead and have uh, unwanted suitors of any gender and sexuality. It's like, you want these so bad? You want my tits so badly? Here. Here. I don't want them. Go ahead. Put them in your mouth. Do you want this? Truly, when you see at the end of the day that this is just fatty tissue. When you take it down to its base components, this is fatty tissue and skin. Do you still want it? here i don't want it you take it you will be able to see this image of me holding on a silver platter my own breast tissue and you will see the scars on my chest and know that saint agatha and i had the same body and i think that that's worth something that's worth exploring
even though there are differences to our stories, I think that it represents the duality of it. She had her breasts torn from her. I wanted to be spared. The eyes, the um, uh, pursuing eyes and the uh, advances of privileged men. So it's like, I did preventive action. It's like, I don't even want that kind of attention. Um, but that polarity is something that I want to introduce to the world and start a dialogue regarding it. Um, so, I mean, this is the, this is my first time unveiling my work and this is the first time that this has been done in, in history. Um, and the element of human gore I know is going to attract, um, a, a, a sort of person, people that are into oddities and, you know, I'm a circus, uh, performer, um, that seems to be my kind of crowd, but, you know, anyone who's interested in seeing what breasts look like, you know, without skin, you know, really seeing the blood and the gore of it and, and basking in the fact that you know this is this is humanity that this is me exploring my humanity and if this is shocking to you i want to know why it is tell us tell us everything about the event when is it okay yeah um the event is on april 1st and 2nd it's going to be at art share la uh it is free admission and it is going to be let's see i have the poster right here um, as I mentioned before, I am not like a professional artist in any kind of capacity, but that doesn't keep me from making art. That doesn't keep me from wanting to get my art out there, but, um, uh, and, and also encouraging other people to make art, to, to be inspired and to create something and put themselves, um, in their work. Um, but yeah, we are going to be displaying not only my photos, the, <laughs> the grotesque photos, if you will, the, uh, the, the titty pics from hell, um, the, uh, you will be able to see, uh, my photos, uh, in addition to a lot of the, uh, commissioned work that I've had and work that's already been made by, um, a lot of, uh, small businesses and, uh, artisans out there, um, before, uh, putting this event into, into place, I wanted to make a gallery of my own on the art that's already out there based on St. Agatha. So we have like Agatha Old, you know, the way that she's been portrayed in art in the past and Agatha New, all of this artwork that I've commissioned from different artists from all walks of life, people that are marginalized, have mental health issues, um, people that are uh, have different uh, religious minorities, uh, racial minorities that come from an impoverished place. Their art will also be there. And you have Agatha Old, Agatha New, and then you have at the end of the day, the breasts on a silver platter. So back to location, it's gonna be at Art Share LA. The address is 801 East 4th Place in Los Angeles. And it's gonna be from April 1st from 2 to 5 p.m. and April 2nd from 4 to 7 p.m. So anyone who is in the Los Angeles area or in the Southern California area and is gonna be available uh, during those times on April 1st and 2nd, um, you're more than welcome to come by. Uh, and this is a first showing of a larger group I want to create and a community that I want to grow here in Los Angeles and in Southern California um, called a gallery called Sanctuary. And I want everyone to know that all are welcome to a gallery called Sanctuary. You won't be turned away. You won't be turned away for your curiosity and wanting to ask questions. Because I think that, you know, it's, it is absolutely essential to be curious. Because if you're not allowed to be curious, you will never learn. Mm -hmm. So true on that, but um, yes. So wait, hold on. 
okay, so earlier during this week, I came to visit, we had a little meeting and um, you did show me the stage that you have set up and how your um you know you want to incorporate more into what you're doing over here at your house yeah so so tell me about that yeah so um for this idea this group this community um you know a gallery called sanctuary this is the debut you know it is my work rem through this community and i want to consider and you know thank any and all of the artists that worked with me during this process um to, to know that they're always welcome here. All are welcome to a gallery called Sanctuary. What I mean by that is I want to open up my house, not only my story and bear my soul to anyone who cares to listen, yeah. anyone who it resonates with, um, who is inspired by this. And if you want to meet me and talk and have a dialogue, that's what I want. I want people that were otherwise afraid to ask questions to ask them unashamedly if they're curious because curiosity is something that I think is absolutely essential to feed and nurture. Um, that's what I want to do with this space. I have a stage. I am blessed enough to live in a house that has so much artistic potential. There is a stage and a huge backyard, a huge front yard. And I've had visions and dreams of inviting friends over and, and getting to meet people who can relate to me. And I know that that's kind of a tall order. Um, because of the fact that I, I kind of ha have a unique situation as far as, as how I was raised. But, you know, I know what it feels like to be ostracized and and to feel like I have no friends. You know, I had a lonely childhood and, you know, at some point I kind of internalized, well, maybe I'm, I'm too weird to deserve friends. But that's a false narrative. You know, maybe that's a way that I had to rationalize it to myself as a child. But no one is so weird and strange that they don't deserve friends. You know, and this is a space where I want to meet my friends. I want to invite people who want to befriend me, who want to create a community to come here to my house and say their stories, speak their their truth, through, whether that or not that's through a poem or a song or through comedy on the stage. I want to give you a platform, a le like legit a platform to speak your truth. Meraki, put yourself in what you do. What do you want to say? Because you, ha you have a voice. Use it. What do you want to say? What do you live for? Who do you want to connect with? I, I see ourselves, whoever is listening to this and resonates with this, I see both of us or all three of us or four of us, whoever's listening, standing on that stage and listening to one another speak about our art, our passions, and maybe even having a movie night. Anyone who is in the USC or SoCal or Los Angeles area, I want to have events put on by a gallery called Sanctuary. We can go ahead and watch foreign films or political films that oftentimes most people aren't aware with, indie films, and have a discussion. They call them cine clubs, where you would watch a movie and then kind of discuss and have a dialogue around it. I want to start conversations. I want to have uh, parties where we just listen to each other and have open uh, open mics and uh, jam music and you know have a party get to know one another make friends I want to meet all the friends out there who want to connect with me because I have for so long felt alone and this this figure this little girl Agatha makes me feel less alone and I want other people to know that they don't have to feel so alone that if they resonate with anything that I've said or with her story, they are all invited to my home and I have a stage for them. And, you know, actually, 
Um, uh, prior to you coming here, Jazz, we took some photos, so I'm sure you'll be posting them so you can actually see the graffiti on one of the uh, sides of the wall. And at some point, I have a project where anyone who comes to the house will go ahead and uh, partition off one of the walls so everyone can paint on it. This is a collaborative community. That is what I want to grow. I'm going to go back to what we were talking earlier about, um, how we were saying how when you know you're in the right place at the right time and i really feel like this is your time right now <laughs> and i you. feel like you're definitely in the right place at the right time mm -hmm. and you're figuring it all out mm -hmm. and i'm 100 percent just going to support and everything that you do it's just it, it sounds amazing i can't <laughs> wait and see everything i'm like excited for you yeah. i feel like it's my it's like you and, are part of this I'm no but I, this. i'm just like so excited for you just to have that and just to to go and and do something that you feel so passionate about and to just go and fucking do it yeah. you know i love people like that i love people that you know have this thought and go after it have mm. this idea have this just creative burst where they're just mm -hmm. like i have to go do everything and mm -hmm. it's like you fucking do it yes like exactly. that is amazing and exactly. i'm so proud of you that is so awesome Thank you. but um real quick side note mm -hmm. going back to i don't know why i'm just as you're talking i'm just like thinking of all these things yeah let's like, do it this is a gonna... dialogue so, <laughs> so you're telling me last time how you found how you found saint agatha mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay that alone i feel like is like right place right timing yeah. you found this woman you found this person you found this their story their yes, narrative yeah everything okay like everything that can relate to you in a way that now has inspired you to do other fucking you know just yeah how did you find her yeah so um i am kind of edgy you know i i'm a circus performer i i get into there, there's actually a, um, a lyric uh, in Suburban Song that goes like, maybe I care too much about my uh, damn, like, oh, fuck, I forgot how it goes, but something about maybe I care too much about my narrative. I definitely was one of those youths that like lived life for the story. I didn't really care about the practicality of it or whether or not I was like potentially putting myself into harm. And that was maybe because I had suicidal ideations because I was going through dysphoria and, you know, was in a family or in a culture that taught me to hate myself. You know, that aside, um, I, I'm, I'm a little bit of an edgy teen. I still had that. I mean, I'm, I'm 27. I'm not a teenager, but I still have, I'm still an edgy teen at heart, you know? Um, so I knew when I got my, when I was in, in the process of uh, getting and scheduling my mastectomy, um, I knew in my heart that I was going to do something with that tissue. You know, um, I knew that the hospital was going to bite me tooth and nail, but there is no federal or state law saying that the hospital has the rights to my body parts. I fought months with pathology, with the hospital. The surgeons were all very supportive, but it was the hospital's policies who were telling me, and again, misinforming me, that I didn't have a right to my own body parts. They said it was a biohazard, but I'm a scientist, honey. You can't pull that shit with me. I've dissected so many animals. I've worked with specimens that are are fixing formaldehyde you can't tell me that i don't know how to deal with tissues and this is my fucking body it comes down to this it is my body return to me what i've grown you know um so i knew that i wanted to make art with the with with my with my breasts i wanted to photograph them and um i think it's funny because it's like in my mind i was like you know i make art of, out of my body parts and i wanted to know 
how I can connect this with a story, you know, in real life. How can I justify this, this art that people would call monstrous or traumatizing, if you will. And I, I think I literally just Googled like severed breasts or breast removal or something like that. And I saw a beautiful painting, a renaissance looking painting of a woman looking up to the heavens. And she had a platter and on that platter were two severed breasts. And I thought this, whatever this is, this is the story that I'm going with. This, this so has something, this yeah. has something. And the fact that in the different prayer cards and in different um, art that is uh, shown her and her life, she has a chest that looks just like mine. You know, and um, as far as being a non-binary person and transitioning, a lot of non-binary individuals choose to keep their nipples. I was very intentional for me that I don't keep my nipples. I don't want to pass as a man. I am not a man. I am not a woman. I am both and I am neither. And when you see my chest, you know that this is intentional. I made this choice. I want you to ask me questions because then I will tell you that this is the body that I choose to live in. So I just saw her chest and I was like, I didn't know anyone out there, especially a thousand mm -hmm. years ago, had yeah. a chest that looked like mine. And that in and of itself made me feel less alone. Um, so finding her and seeing that someone had gone through an experience like mine, not only on the fact that we didn't have breasts, we, I don't have breasts now and she didn't have breasts before she died. Um, I, I thought that, you know, learning more about her story and seeing how she relates to so many people. She's the patron saint of, and remind you, patron saint means that she uh, protects individuals um, who are victims of sexual assault and rape, who are victims or uh, survivors of breast cancer, nurses, and especially in a time like COVID, nurses are on the front lines. You know, I think it's important to bring to light all these uh, groups of people that are protected by her. You know, you can ask for her and pray to her to intercede you know and you you are you have a protector you are not alone it's just being exposed to her story and allowing it to resonate with you if you so desire um nurses uh women who have been or anyone who's been sexually assaulted and that's the thing women are not the individuals only individuals that get sexually assaulted or raped one in every seven men also are sexually assaulted or raped you have a protector nurses wet nurses and and that's the thing um, with wet nurses that I want to make very clear is uh, wet nurses have a history that is drenched in racism. And if you look at the wooden board, um, anyone who's coming by the show or anyone who looks at pictures of at least the, P the PG rated uh, boards, because there's three different intensity levels. The PG version is the uh, wooden altar I've made with her with two puddles of blood. So it's just allusion to her pain and to the breast removal. And there's going to be a section of the art show that is blocked by a partition that is not going to allow any photography because it's my body. These are my breasts and you cannot take photos of them. You know, you can take photos of all the work outside of, you know, Agatha Old, Agatha New and the PG version, the wooden board with the two puddles of blood. But my tissue, my breasts that I worked so hard to get back from the hospital, that I worked so hard to have removed from my body in the first place and to have given back to me in the way that I desire. You can't take photos of them. Only the people that come by will be able to see them with their own eyes. And I think that this is a way that I want to incorporate consent. Consent for individuals who, you know, maybe they, they are off put by the grotesqueness of human gore. They can't handle that and I'm not gonna force them to. You can still enjoy this art and don't go. Don't go past the partition.
you know, I'm, I don't want to vilify you or think that you're weak or say anything like that if you don't want to see human gores. If you don't want to see it, you don't want to see it. But know that other people are not given that choice. Other people are subjected to things regardless of whether or not they want to, whether or not they're comfortable with that. If you wish to go behind the partition, or I mean, even if you look at the PG boards, you'll be able to see that at the very top, there is a female figure holding a baby. And on the board, you can see that I colored in the baby being white. The board is brown, the baby is white, and the mother is black. Wet nurses have a history based in racism. They have had their bodies used against them. They are forced to feed the babies of colonizers and rich and affluent people, people that treated them like, like physical objects. You're, you're literally resorted down to your biological parts. And you know, just because breastfeeding wasn't fashionable for the bourgeoisie, it's give it's a lowly function that's given to the slaves. So the injustice of the black woman, slaves that were forced to feed the babies of colonizers, the people that oppress them while their own children starve. I think that that is um, a figure that I want to honor because there wasn't even a symbol for her. I had to create a symbol for her. Everyone else, breast cancer, people that have uh, survived sexual assault or rape, uh, nurses, all of these people have one symbol, but wet nurses, I couldn't find anything. They have not been represented at all. And especially with uh, Black History Month and MLK, um, all of these uh, um, lining up actually perfectly, there are these events that are coming up where it's like, we have to remember these people. We have to remember that wet nurses too. Uh, and and uh, uh, how marginalized individuals, uh, women of color, have had their bodies used against them, have ha may been made to feel for generations that their bodies are not their own, that their bodies serve a functionality for another individual that uses them and abuses them. Um, yeah, so as far as uh, wet nurses are concerned, so wet nurses, nurses with COVID, um, bakers and bell founders, I'm not quite sure how I work them in, but I have bells on the board and I think that to a certain extent, every bell has its own frequency and you can uh, relate and you can uh, vibe with that frequency and sometimes you don't. And I think that that's okay. And as far as uh, cookies are concerned and the mini divagini, um, I think it's interesting how, you know, there's almond cookies and there are uh, conchas. And I've always thought that conchas kind of have this like mm -hmm. symbolism of breasts and that's yeah. a Latino thing. And the mini divagini being Italian and the uh, nipples of Venus, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of cookies in different cultures that like, I guess like not fetishize, but show like, oh, a cookie that looks like a boob. You Boob's, put boobs yeah. in your mouth. But you know, it comes from this story. You people fail to to even be curious about the history that the reason why people make these cookies is because of her story. You know, so be curious about these things. Her, her, and last but not least, um, she is not only patron saints of these marginalized communities. When we pray to her, or uh, when individuals pray to her, she is the person that intercedes uh, uh, for natural disasters. Not only fires, you know, because of the fact that she wasn't burned, she was unburnable. She couldn't, she was not killed by this. She did not, she resisted. She is someone you can pray to to intercede uh, with natural disasters. And especially with, you know, climate change. All of us are seeing it. You know, people in my age group, 27, when you were young, we saw all the signs. They put out documentaries. And, and time and time again, climate scientists keep telling us, you know, what we're doing, the way that we're living, you know, with carbonization and, and putting in all of this carbon into the atmosphere, it's going to kill us. 
It is going to change the climate into something catastrophic that the humanity is not going to be able to handle if we don't stop now. And I think that she's the perfect person to to take this stage. And it's like if if we all can put our eyes on this individual who's been forgotten, you know, she can be the protector of people who are going to be faced with climate change, with even more natural disasters. Imagine all the fires in Australia and imagine that intensified by 10 every single year because this isn't linear. I'm a scientist. I've looked at the data. This is not linear. This is exponential. We're going to have to pray a lot more to St. Agatha regarding these natural disasters, but we also have to really change the way that we live in this world. I mean, as, yeah. as a climate activist, but um, so that's, that's just a little bit of uh, information on her. And uh, so, you know, finding this narrative and finding her story and being able to connect with her so deeply is really just chance. Like meeting it you, is, we yeah. met by chance at that event. And there's a word, um, kismet. Kismet means, you know, things aligning perfectly, the stars align. And I feel like not only with me finding her story and seeing that someone's gone through this experience and, you know, in a, in a small way, making me feel less alone. Mm -hmm. emboldened me and empowered me to share her story because I know that other people will feel less alone knowing that they have a protector, knowing that they have someone in their corner, even if they died over a thousand years ago. She's in your corner if you care to remember her. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it's it's really interesting how I found her story and it, it just... It um, sure is. Yeah, it, it, it opens up. I hope that it inspires people to... Um, go out there and ask questions and, and live their life well, authentically. It's definitely inspired me to ask a lot of questions. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm even creating. <laughs> yeah. But, um, all right, Rem, you're, thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank I you love, for having me. Yeah, no, thank you for wanting. I, 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 I don't see it more. I see it more as like, thank you for wanting to participate. You know, I love that. I love how people take the time and actually want to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. Like, I love that. I a love movement. that they want to be a part of what I'm creating and mm -hmm. they want to be a part of it as well and tell their stories and yeah. tell what they're going through because that really is what I was telling you. That's the point of my podcast. Yeah. I want real life people to talk about their real life situations you know local artists yes. anybody in our communities that have a voice and that want to be heard mm -hmm. and just tell their story of what they've gone through mm -hmm. or things advice anything mm -hmm. i i i fucking love that and i love learning and i love hearing people and what they have to say and i'm just just thank you for uh for yeah for letting me interview you i really yeah. i really fucking appreciate it yeah. but this is already going towards the end of the um, episode, mm -hmm. and I always like to ask, "What are what are your last words?" I've know I know we've hit every <laughs> question, and you're going beyond, and I love it. But what are your last words? What are your last words? Go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> last words is um, Insta. I have an Insta, and on my Insta is a link tree. Uh, Roxy underscore B seven. Um, so if you're interested in seeing, uh, I, I guess I, I'm not very social media literate, as I mentioned to you before, you know, trying to get the word out about this has been kind of difficult for me. Cause again, I'm a scientist I, and I didn't have social media because I, I was so sheltered, but, um, 
you know, if you want to go ahead and see that, like the five posts that I have on Insta, but specifically the link tree, you can get more information on where the event is and you can actually download a poster from any of the uh, platforms that I posted to. Um, and I, I want people to come away with this challenge. You know, uh, I want us to critique, you know, how much privilege are we willing to tolerate? Because this, this story happened a thousand seven hundred years ago. You know, this girl was subjected to torture because she said no. She said no and she just wanted to live her own life. And, and it's kind of sad to me where it's like, you know, beautiful girls that, you know, say no and don't want to have sex with old men, you know, they die. They, they just, do they deserve to die? Did she deserve her death? And if not, you know, her, um, this crowd that gathered around to watch her burn, you know, because of this earthquake, you know, it was clear to them that they they were not in the wrong but the praetor was in the wrong they ended up ru running the praetor out of town and i really hope that all of us can rise to the occasion and learn from this essentially bloodthirsty mob that you know there are there are many people many men in power that abuse that power just as the praetor does and you know this this mob was able to see that you know the burning of agatha was wrong and this is the praetor who is at fault but her story has been forgotten we can be that mob. We can be the mob that runs this praetor out of the town. But no one knows her story. And every story that we forget is bound to happen over and over and over again. And I see it happening over and over and over again. I see the innocent that are being taken advantage of by men who know, who know how to twist the arms of people who can find themselves and put themselves in positions of power to force their hand. They don't have questions. They have demands. I want us to run these praetors out of town. And I, I want to uh, ask a question. Will I be damned for living as I am? And those are my last words. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm, again, this is, I'm a first time artist. This is my debut. And it, it's honestly a little scary coming out and bearing myself to the world. So the fact that you were willing to talk to me and listen to my story and are able to help me get the word out, you know, uh, and this is like the first time I've ever done anything like this. So, you know, you giving a voice and allowing me to tell my story as a first time artist, I am very grateful. So thank you so much, Jazz. <laughs> crying <laughs> I mean that's the goal you know like I cry a lot so anyone who comes by the event and asks me questions regarding my transition or my experience I'd be more than happy to answer your questions and I cry a lot so anyone who meets me in person or sees any of my videos that I'm going to be posting regarding this experience just see know that I'm going to be crying a bunch and that's that's just me I just a bit emotional yeah I, I mean I, I'm an emotional person I do have a mood disorder too and I take mood stabilizers so and also that's what I was going to ask you mm -hmm. oh yeah, go right. another yeah, question can, yeah okay so you know how you got the vas vasectomy yes yeah the mastectomy no I, but what's the other one uh, hysterectomy hysterectomy like history but hysterectomy <laughs> the hysterectomy there you are yeah okay so did you what was it fuck where i lost uh, my hormonal mood? yes yeah yeah a lot of people ask me this question you know where your was your mood changed by having the hysterectomy and i'll uh, give you guys a little bit of uh just so um i know we talked about the details of my um transition before but for those of you that are particularly curious and actually this leads to a very good um uh, segue um when i had my hysterectomy i had my uterus fallopian tubes and cervix removed but my uh, ovaries stayed in my body 
So I, um, you know, the doctor or the surgeon said to me, would you like to have an oophorectomy? Oophorectomy is the medical term for a uh, ovary removal. Um, and I didn't think it was necessary because then I would have to be taking estrogen, you know, for the rest of my life. And I don't want to go through menopause at the age of 20. I was 25 when I had the surgery. At the age of 25, I really saw no need for it. And uh, I kept my ovaries in my body. So I still have my eggs in me, you know, and no one can access them. And I think that there's a certain beauty to that is that I have this potential to make life, um, but no one, no one can ever force me to do so. And my, my, actually, instead of the eggs being released, you know, out of my body and, you know, through uh, menstruation, you know, through a period, um, my body just eats the egg and it goes back into my, 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 my soul, my spirit. Um, so yes, my, my mood was not changed at all by the, uh, uh, hysterectomy because of the fact that I still have my ovaries. So anyone who's interested in getting a hysterectomy, you, it's not gonna, it, it doesn't have to affect your change. But if you do get an oophorectomy, the ovary removal, then you're gonna have but to be the, taking hormones okay. and stuff like that. Um, and actually, I'm so glad that you asked that, Jazz, because this event, this photography event, is part of a three-part series. In one of these um, uh, upcoming shows, I will also be showing my uterus the actual tissue along like the way like what i'm doing with agatha with the severed breasts i will be unveiling what my actual uterus looks like again on a silver platter served for all to see but that is for the next event so uh tune in and uh go ahead and follow me on insta or i will also be posting posters all around uh, los angeles up until the date so i will definitely help and also i am gonna post uh your um your insta but what is your instagram what's your instagram uh, name? it is roxy underscore v7 okay got it and then event see you guys next week <laughs> everybody better fucking be there <laughs> yeah i mean the the people that hear this story and the people who see these flyers and are curious Go. to see how a martyr and how the forgotten saints and the uh the the forgotten saint the forgotten sexuality and the uh most uh actually can we put pause oh my goodness i don't know what i'm saying yeah thanks for asking the official insta for this event is a gallery called sanctuary all separated by lowercase and um all separated by underscores all lowercase uh so yeah follow me and get updated on this event as it's progressing a gallery called Sanctuary. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, see you guys next Friday at Art Share. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>